Tiger, 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 Tiger Woods, y'all. It's your old Tucker buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent February 10th in the year of our Lord, 2021. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. What's up? How you folks doing? Hope you're hanging in there during pandemic, you know. I'm starting to climb the walls a little bit, you know. I want a banana. I want a banana. I want a banana. Start getting that fucking monkey. Starting to get that monkey fuzz, you know. You know, I'm keeping this bush going until, you know, I have a reason to shave, you know. Generally speaking, I like to keep clean cut, you know, but I'm keeping it going, folks. I don't know. Till um, proven otherwise, you know, like I said, I'm climbing the walls. I'm going monkey brain, monkey tits, ape shit. Fucking bat tit crazy, folks. You know, my neighbors. You know, my neighbors, rather, they've gone loco. They've gone bonkers, if y'all can relate. And it's funny. There's an old quote by Raymond Chandler. Raymond Chandler, famed pulp fiction writer. You know, the dirty, seedy, boozy scene of the 1940s San Francisco. Private Eye. Private Dick, Gumshoe, Down at Heel, Shamus, you know, Philip Marlowe. His renowned Private Dick, Philip Marlowe, you know, Raymond Chandler, writer. The Lady in the Lake, The Little Sister, um... Farewell, My Lovely, The Big Sleep, which was adapted into a feature film starring, yeah, see, hey, brother, can you spare a dime for a fellow American down on his luck? Humphrey Bogart, you know? Say, you know, <laughs> Casablanca, you know, um, Humphrey Bogart. Anyway, to my point, renowned writer, Raymond Chandler, creator of the private detective Philip Marlowe, the famed writer, Raymond Chandler. I can't remember the quote quite offhand, but he said something along the lines of, you know, there was a radio blaring loudly in the parlor, evidence of the alcoholic mind. Something to that effect, you know? Some gin-soaked dummy, you know? Some fucking lush, you know? Whenever somebody's cranking their music loudly, it's not a sign of, um... Oh! I'm a whimsical spirit who loves music, and I'm rocking out with the music cranked up to 11. No. You're an egotistical, self-centered moron who's got some mental delusions, mental 
turmoil that you haven't coped with. It doesn't make any fucking sense. I love music. I'm a long lifetime learner and lover of music. Play the old bass guitar, fuck around with a guitar from now time to time. You know what I mean? I like a tune much as the next guy, right? But one thing I don't do is blast music blaringly loud, having the walls shake, the ground thump. No, I, I play it at a moderate level where I can enjoy it and still have my own thoughts. The only time when you crank music to 11 is if you're at a concert or a nightclub, because that is atmosphere, that's environment, that's vibe, that's a show, that's a production. But when you're listening to music in your home, you generally put it at a moderate level because otherwise it's annoying to the neighbors and it's pointless. It's like you are blaring out your own thoughts. It's not the sign of a whimsical earth uh, child. It's the sign of a fucking crybelly dipshit fucking moron. As far as I'm concerned, that's what my neighbors are doing. I don't know if you guys can hear this, but... Um, you know, they're, cr- they're cranking the music. You can hear, like, the ground thudding and the walls shaking. And, you know, I'm not complaining about it. You know, it gave me a little bit of an introduction for this podcast. I don't think you guys can hear it. It's not... Luckily, it's not so loud where it's, like... Discernible. It's just that it's really kind of like a pulsation. It's kind of like I can feel the pulsation and I can kind of hear it. And it's like... It's ridiculous. They're like several doors down from me in the apartment building, right? And, you know, it's just, I find it very interesting because it's like on the face of it, on the surface of it, it's like, oh, this person really likes music. But when you really think about it, it's like, oh, wait a minute, what's going on? This is a person who's trying to silence their own thoughts. You know, I got a pretty loud speaker in my apartment too. I could crank it up too. You know why I don't? Because it's stupid. It drowns out my own thoughts. It's confusing. It's disorientating. And the times in which I did that in my life, where I cranked the music up to 11, I was usually drunk or high. You know, that's something that, to quote Raymond Chandler again, famed writer, Raymond Chandler, that's something of like an alcoholic delusion. You're looking to numb out. You're looking to space out. Crank the radio up. Turn the stereo up. Because you love music? No, because you're running from your demons. (laughs) Happy quarantine to y'all folks. If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. This is a show where I bitch wine squawk Kabeliak and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self. Y'all the dear listener. Y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever. Yeah. Um, and if you're new to the show, we have a new way for y'all to support the program. You know? I'm selling shit on Amazon, folks. Take a gander at this. Look at this puppy. Look at that puppy. 
This is what is known as the Men's Hanes, Men's Hanes Henley Beefy Cotton Long Sleeve Shirt. $15.99, folks. Going for $15.99 on Amazon. Take a look at that, folks. Look at that puppy. Henley. Got the nice button, the three, three button, three button button down. Three button button down, or the two buttons. Oh, fuck, I don't know. What? Three buttons, button button, who's got the button? Three button, button down. Nice thick cotton. Nice thick cotton for those chilly February mornings or afternoons or wandering the streets, you know, whatever, you know. Nice thick cotton. Should wash well, dry well. Hang dry. I would hang dry it if I were you. You know, you don't want the motherfucking thing to shrink on you. $15.99, folks. $15.99 on Amazon. Link in the description below. Yes. And, uh, oh yeah, by the way, hanger not included. So, you know, you know, buyer beware. The hanger's not included. You might have to go to the dollar store and get your own hanger or, I don't know, steal one from your wife's, you know, steal one from your wife's closet or whatever. Your wife's closet. Anyway, <clears throat> link in the description, folks. And here's the kicker. I know what you're thinking. Ah, uh, Jonathan, like, yo, yo, wagwan, rude boy, yo, Bredgen, yo, chuckle buddy, you know I love you, brother, but I can't be going around buying things off of Amazon every time I be watching Jonathan Rob Charanda podcast. I can't be doing that, man. I got two jobs, two jobs. Since pandemic, I got no job, no job. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. You don't want to go spending your money on horse shit, right? But here's the kicker. If you access the Amazon website through one of my links, you know, one of the links on these videos, if you access the Amazon website through one of my links, you know, and you make a purchase, any old purchase, you know, let's say you're on there buying paper towels, you know, you're on there buying paper towels, you're scared that the apocalypse is near, better stock up on paper towels and toilet paper. Let's say you're on there hoarding toilet paper. Well, if you make that purchase within 24 hours of accessing the site through one of my links, I get a little bit of a kickback. I get a little bit of a referral fee. See what I'm saying? I get a referral fee for driving traffic to the site, to Amazon. So please keep us in mind, JR the P. Keep us in the mind, if you get the chance, of course. And again, to my dear listeners, I thank you very much for being um, a part of the show, you know? Um... Every comment, every like, it definitely goes appreciated. So don't feel obligated, truly. I mean, I don't even care. Like, um, this is like a passive income for me. It's not going to make or break me, you know? It's a little way for me to monetize my work. And where it's relatable and how I always try to keep things relatable to the viewer, to the listener, this is an example of me um, doing what I can, doing what I can in my career. I'm not at the place yet where I have big sponsorship. That will come, hopefully, in due time. 
But right now, I got to work with what is available. And I have the opportunity to be an Amazon affiliate. You know, I have the opportunity to try out this stream avenue, avenue of income, monetize my work. And um, it's passive income. It's not like it's going to make or break me. It's really about me making a step forward. That's the important thing. Me taking a step towards, you know, furthering my career. And if that's relatable to anybody, it happens, right? Let's say you're a tradesperson. Sometimes you have to pay union dues. You know, a lot of times when you join a union, you have to pay union dues. You know, um, as an actor myself, you know, I'm not in a union, but, you know, there's actor unions, there's carpenter unions, plumber unions, the whole kit and caboodle. You got to pay your dues. Sometimes people get behind in paying their dues. Then they can't work. And then, then they get further and further behind. And then it becomes this big headache and da 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 da. And it's like, hey, you're standing in your own way. Why not address the challenges of your career? If you got to pay a due, if you got to pay a, a due, a fee to be in a union, if you got to purchase new equipment, if you have to upgrade your skills, if you have to take a business trip, if you have to come up with some advertising, whatever you do, you got to make that step forward. So that's really all this is about. It's not about making money. It's a passive income. It's an option. It's something that is putting me forward in my career. And I hope that's relatable to any of y'all out there. Yes. The show is available also on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, janathan-ramcharan.com. And as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, chortles, you know, please, folks, Help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Sharing's caring, folks. You know it truly is. Yes. Quick sip of coffee. Coffee bake. Balls. Don't mind me, balls. <sighs> Much obliged. That's the thing about coffee, too. That's my second cup. Gets you wired. You know, I'm... St- I'm squawking up a blue streak, babbling on a blue streak, you know? The synapses in my head are just like firing, you know? I'm hot to trot this morning, folks. We're going to have a good show. Check this out. Let's get into some news stories. All right. A couple interesting things going on in the world. Here's a very interesting one hailing out of Canada. Some Canuck entertainment news. This is from globalnews.ca. The tragically hip files lawsuit against Mill Street Brewery over 100th Meridian Lager. At the 100th Meridian, when the Great Plains began, at the 100th Meridian. The tragically hip has filed a lawsuit against Toronto-based Mill Street Brewery, 
alleging it has used the name of one of the band's hits, At the Hundredth Meridian, to brand and promote one of its beers. In a statement claim filed in Ontario court on Tuesday, Tragically Hip Inc. claimed the brewery has branded and marketed its 100th Meridian Amber Lager to pass off on the fame, goodwill, and reputation of the Tragically Hip. In 1992, the band originally from Kingston, Ontario, released Fully Completely, the album that featured At the 100th Meridian. The lawsuit alleges Mill Street Brewery engaged in a course of conduct to unilaterally and without permission ride on the coattails of one of the most beloved bands in Canadian music history. Hallelujah. By marketing its beer with reference to the Tragically Hip and one of its many quintessentially Canadian chart-topping tracks, At the 100th Meridian, where the Great Plains began. The band also claims the brewery deliberately amplified those efforts during its final tour in 2016 after frontman Gord Downey had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. <sighs> that was a sad one, folks. I cried that day. But let me continue. Daryl Miner, the president of Mill Street the president of Mill Street, told Global News in an email on February 10th that it received the statement of claim, which was filed on February 9th. We are disappointed this step has been taken and are confident that the claim is without merit, Miner wrote. We do not intend to comment further on the matter while it is before the court. In the court filing, the band alleges Mill Street Brewery also encourages users of social media platforms such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to make explicit associations between the Tragically Hip and its 100th Meridian. Mill Street has leveraged the similarities between the name of its 100th Meridian and the Tragically Hips at the 100th Meridian to cause actual confusion amongst, among Canadians and in any event to pose a substantial risk of potential confusion, the statement claim reads. Paul Banwatt, a partner of Gilbert's LLP, who is representing the band, said ultimately the Tragically Hip feels that their fans have been misled and that the band, that the band and the fans have been wronged. And that's what's led us here, he told Global News. According to Ban Watt, the band did try to reach a compromise with Mill Street Brewery before the lawsuit was filed, but he said those efforts were unsuccessful. Um, in a later, in a letter, <coughs> pardon moi, folks, in a letter to fans sent earlier on Tuesday, the band reiterated that they are not associated with Mill Street's 100th Meridian beer. We knew there is some confusion out there, but we didn't know how much until recently, the letter reads. The band said they tried to sort it out with the brewery for months, but said the brewery didn't take us seriously, and frankly, 
were disrespectful. We have been around for a long time and have always been able to work things out like this without a lawsuit, the letter reads. Unfortunately, not this time. We took the step to clear up any confusion once and for all. Ultimately, Ban Watt said the band would like this to stop. That's the most important thing, he said. According to the filing, the band is seeking a minimum of $500,000. Ka-ching! At the 100th meridian! At the $500,000 meridian! In a $500,000 minimum, in punitive, aggravated, and explanatory, exemplary damages along with additional damages for copyright infringement. The Tragically Hip is also making a court order which would see Mill Street Brewery make a public statement that its, that its products and services are not associated with the band. It is also seeking another order which, if granted, would force Mill Street Brewery to remove all social media posts that reference the Tragically Hip or feature comments drawing an association between the band and Mill Street services or products. Yes. Famed Canadian rock band, the Tragically Hip, is suing Mill Street Brewery for production of a amber lager entitled 100th Meridian Lager Ale Whatever the fuck. I think it's a lager. What is it called? Uh... Yes, a lager. 100th Meridian Amber Lager by Mill Street Brewery. That, to me, um, is a great example of a lack of business sense on Mill Street Brewery's part. Duh. You know? The Tragically Hip. Iconic Canadian rock band. It was in Bob Cajun where I saw the constellations falling one cloud at a time. That night in Toronto with its checkerboard floors riding on horseback, keeping order in store till the men they couldn't hang stepped to the mic and sang and their voices rang with that Aryan twang. If there's a goal that anyone remembers, it was back in old 72. We all squeezed the strick and we all pulled the trigger, and all I can remember is sitting beside you. <laughs> I said I'm tragically hip. I said I'm hip. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Saw the movie once in my hometown. Tragically hip, right? Canadian iconic rock band. Lack of insight on Mill Street Brewery's part. Major lack of insight. I remember when I first heard of this 100th Meridian lager. I was like, oh, is that like a tragically hip beer? Or did they come out with their, their own brand of beer? Like that is obviously, 
I don't even know what the fuck 100th meridian means. What is that? Is that like a place on the equator? I think it's like a place on the equator. It's like in Saskatchewan or Regina, Manitoba. You know, Prince Edward Island. I don't fucking know. Prince Rupert. 100th meridian. I mean, who the fuck would ever say that aside from the classic tragically hip song at the 100th meridian is that what it's called you know you know they know they know they know they know they know hey yeah they know as drake would say another canadian artist they know they're playing games i i that's exactly what i thought i was like oh is that the tragic did the tragically hip come out with their own beer and Mill Street Brewery, they had some delicious beers back in the day when I was still drinking. When I was still drinking, I was I was knocking back the organic ale. I used to drink that all the time and a couple other ones, you know. And like, from the article, it reads that the Tragically Hip tried to come to a peaceful resolution on this. Mill Street Brewery really shit the bed. They should have cut them in. Like, the, the Tragically Hip, they're like a national treasure. Um, at the time of the passing away of Gord Downey in 2016, wow, man. It was like they did a farewell tour. They had, like, a nationally televised farewell concert. Their band reached so many people. So many different communities, walks of life. And they were like quintessentially Canadian. Mill Street Brewery shit the bed. They should have got... They should have cut them a deal. They should have shown them some respect. They shouldn't have played games. 100% that's what they were doing. Trying to capitalize on the success of that band and that song. That's what they're doing. And what's so interesting in this story to me is like, it's such an example of a lack of insight. Insight that is rampant in the business world, in the personal interactions of human beings, in the societal dream. Just a lack of insight. What do most people respond to? Appreciation. Acknowledgement. That's all most people are looking for. Just a little appreciation and a little acknowledgement. Whether or not they blatantly set out to capitalize on the branding of that song at the 100th Meridian, what Mill Street Brewery should have done once the Tragically Hip, if according to this article, this is how it went down, according to the article, the Tragically Hip approached them saying, hey, what's going on? You are kind of, you know, you're using our brand. 100th Meridian, especially because they're in the vein of alcohol sales, 
you know, people go to concerts, people relax and drink a beer, listen to music. They should have been like, whether whether they blatantly were, whether they blatantly were trying to ride, the, ride those coattails, they should have just been like, oh, yo, great point. I don't know how we missed that. Or, you know what, you're right. There is a lot of similarities. You are a Canadian rock band that has meant so much to Canada and many generations. Our company would love to be in business with you. Can we make a deal? Can we cut you in? Can we give you some proceeds? Like the Tragically Hip wouldn't have agreed to that. I mean, I know they're pretty socially conscious and a very um, heartfelt band. So I don't know where their business ethics lie. But I mean, who would harm a rock band for having their own beer? Or at least something that, you know, they get a kickback, a percentage of the sales and, you know, at the 100th Meridian, at the 100th Meridian, Mill Street Brewery Amber Lager. An amber lager enjoyed by the tragically hip. Just something small, quick and tasteful like that. Just a, a quick little plug. It doesn't have to be like ensconced in the branding of the band and of the consciousness of the band or whatever. Like... Just a little acknowledgement that, hey, they like the beer, they drink the beer. It's, you know, a quick little plug and diddly-dum, they get a kickback. A little appreciation, a little acknowledgement. So Mill Street Brewery, Mill Street Brewery really shit the bet on this one, you know. It's obvious that's what they did, in my opinion. I don't know. And um, what's interesting to me about that is just the idea of in business, in relations, you got to show that appreciation. You got to show that acknowledgement. You got to, you know, tip a hat, tip a hat to a job well done. You know, you can't be walking around with your nose up in the air and expect people to, you know, just go unnoticed when you play your little games. Copyright infringement. No, we weren't doing it. Like, come on. <laughs> so, quick coffee break, folks. Coffee break, balls. Don't mind me, balls. Alrighty. In other news, um, oh yeah, and again, please hit me up jr.thepodcast at gmail.com what do you think are you aware of this story i mean um let's put it into a context like i mean the tragically hip are a very popular well-known band in canada i'm sure they have success in larger markets but really canada you know it's a they're they're big time here in canada for sure so like Let's put it on a global stage. It would be as if, like, the Beatles. You know, the Beatles, they're, they're, you know, they're doing their thing. Then all of a sudden, a beer company comes out with, I am the walrus lager. You know, it is the, I am the walrus lager. Hey, mate. What in the bloody fuck? Hello, John. John. 
Ringo, George, uh, it's me, Paul. Hey, hello, George, Ringo, John, it's me, Paul, on the phone. Uh, that sounds more like, uh, I don't know who that sounds like. Brian Eno? I don't know. Uh, George, uh, it's your it's your mate, uh, Paul. Did you hear about the uh, 100... Did you hear about the I am the walrus logger? I mean, what in the fuck? They're using our song to sell logger. Uh, you know, like, you'd be a little miffed too, right? Bust your ass writing a song. You know, I am the walrus, cuckoo, 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 cuckoo. You are me and I am you and they are they and we are one. You dirty little girl, you let your knickers down. Cuckoo, 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 cuckoo. I am the egg man. I am the eggplant. I am the walrus. Cuckoo, cuckoo, you are me. What the bumbleclut fuck? You know, you bust your ass writing a song. You turn around. They're selling I am the walrus fucking lager, lunch boxes, the whole kit and caboodle. You'd be like, yo, what the fuck? Bloody hell. So do hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. You think the tragically hip um, have a point? Or do you kind of side with uh, Mill Street Brewery? Should they be able to just, I mean, what, you're going to copyright at the 100th meridian? Like, isn't that like an equator location? Isn't that like a Google map location? Like, you type in on Google Maps 100th meridian. So what, you want to copyright that? Like, what the fuck? Hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Yes. I'm telling you, folks. Ooh, I am jacked the fuck up. I'm seeing like flying saucers. I don't know what. I got to cut back on this fucking coffee. Like I had a workout. I worked out today and I drank a coffee and I was just like strictly business. And I don't know, man. I'm just like on some kind of fucking, I don't know. Like I, I can feel like a six. I got like a six sense. It's like that coffee sense when you're like, I'm just like, I better just keep on plugging along here, folks. <clears throat> Better just keep on going. All right. So this is an article from cp24.com. York Region Paramedic on Paid Leave Amid Investigation into Now-Deleted Twitter Account. A York Region Paramedic has been placed on paid administrative leave pending an investigation into a series of controversial comments made on social media. The comments were posted by an account with the handle at EgathaVanik10, which description, whose description, indicated the user was a member of the Paramedic Regional Municipality of York. The tweets and accounts have since been deleted. One of the more recent comments was made over the weekend in connection with an article posted on CTV News Toronto and CP24 about a fatal shooting in North York. The story included statements made by a family spokesperson 
who described the 20-year-old victim as a beautiful soul and a caring, thoughtful neighbor. In response to the article, the Twitter account user wrote, Everyone has a beautiful soul! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Sorry about his death, but take a look about at who shot him! Exclamation point, exclamation point. Just saying. Three days later, three days earlier, the same account posted a comment on a story about police firing stun guns in a beanbag round at a knife-wielding man who confronted officers while allegedly stealing from parked cars. Luckily, he's dead because I would have... Luckily, he's not dead because I would have shot his ass, the user said. Users on Twitter who capture screen grabs of the comments expressed their shock and outrage at what was said. One person questioned how residents could have confidence in a paramedic to serve all members of the community unprejudiced when she carries clear racial biases towards people of color. This kind of intolerance and unprofessionalism is becoming, is unbecoming of a paramedic, the person said on Twitter. She should be fired. One Twitter user called the comments abhorrent behavior for a public servant, while another said that it's hard to believe someone could casually set aside this type of mentality during a medical emergency. And so on and so forth. Yeah. So a paramedic. A paramedic. um, A York Region paramedic is now on paid lead, paid leave, amid investigation into these um, Twitter posts. So apparently some paramedic under a different, under like a, I guess a secretive account, was posting these Twitter comments on shootings that had a racial bias twist to it basically a white woman writing making I guess biased remarks towards the black community it's like oh look a black man was shot what a surprise stuff along those lines ho hum ho hum hoodly do like boring I don't give a shit Sticks and stones can break my bones, but you can go fuck yourself. Like, that's my opinion. Like, don't really give a shit at all. But what the interesting thing is, is like, in a larger outlook, I guess the idea of these rent, these racial tensions have to come to some sort of resolution some point you know what I mean here's the very interesting thing generally speaking it's like it's like the same spirit you know if we're gonna go black and white it's like the same spirit more or less when they get to to nattering it's like the black person's like, you ain't going to tell me nothing. Oh, you can't tell me nothing. <laughs> you can't tell me nothing. Let the man get clapped. 
So if the devil wear Prada, Adam and Eve wear Nada, I'm in between but way more fresher. I guess the money should have changed him. I guess he should have forgot where I came from. Uh, oh, you can't tell me nothing. Ha ha, you can't tell me nothing. Like Kanye said, you can't tell me nothing. That's like a lot of black attitude where it's just like, yo, you ain't, you can't tell me nothing. Fuck off. Angry, close-minded, you can't tell me nothing. That's like that spirit of like the black community. What's well, like the same spirit in the white community? The white community is more like, I'm going to tell you something. Ha 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 ha. I'm going to tell you something. Ha ha. I'm going to tell you something. They always got to fucking be telling people stuff. You ever notice that? White guy just loves telling people stuff. Just like, yo, like, take a hint. Nobody gives a shit. Behind their opinion, their opinion is always backed up with some sense of civil duty and pride for the country. And I took it upon myself as a citizen, as a God-fearing person who's a good tax-paying person to step up for what is right. It's like, no, you're an egotistical prick who doesn't know how to sit down, shut up, and mind your own fucking business. Isn't that what you are? An overinflated, egotistical moron? <laughs> so that's black people. You can't tell me nothing. And then there's white people. I'm going to tell you something. Same stupid spirit back and forth. Horseshit. Um, I don't know what the solution is. In a lot of senses, I don't even care. That's why self-reliance and self-accountability is paramount. That's the way out. Because at the heart of it, nobody really cares. Who cares about Black Lives Matter? Black people. Who cares about Proud Boys? White people. Who cares about feminists? Feminists. Who cares about gay rights? Gay lords. Who gives a shit about disability? Cripples. Smoke them if you got them, folks. Nobody cares. People are self-interested. So that's why personal accountability is like key. Mind your own business. Do your own thing. Respect everybody. Connect with the people that you feel a connection to. Live and let Live. Do unto others as you will have done unto yourself. Hallelujah. Yeah. Quick sip of coffee. Coffee break balls. Don't mind me balls. Ah, hit the spot. I recently watched a very interesting documentary Tiger on HBO Tiger the documentary by HBO Sports on legendary golfer Tiger Woods yeah very interesting first of all he was a child phenomenon I didn't really know that I wasn't quite aware of that part of his story 
I knew he was like arguably considered the greatest golfer of all time, arguably. You know, there's stats and then there's the financial and then the and then the uh, social ramifications. So he's like arguably the greatest golfer of all time next to, I believe, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholas, Jack Nicholson. I don't know too much about golf, but, um, you know, he's legendary golfer. But I didn't know that, like, he was a child phenomenon. There's, like, footage of him, like, swinging a club on, like, uh, where was it? It was, like, you know, when he was, like, two years old. Oh, no, when he was, like, 18 months. So what is that? Like a year and a half. He's, like, a year and a half years old. And, you know, a year and a half, two years old. He's on, like, late-night talk shows, swinging clubs, you know? Like, he was he was he, he was kind of in the vein of that Michael Jackson thing where it's like famous from a child. I didn't know that. So it's like he was in this public eye since he was a year and a half years old. Tiger Woods. Then he rises to become one of the greatest golfers of all time. Very interesting. And um got a couple notes here. Um, one thing that was very interesting, it, it, it focused very much on the relationship between him and his father, I believe Earl Woods, right? Earl Woods. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of the documentary. Um, the documentary was obviously... First and foremost, it was, while it did show some of the, like the fall from grace to the rot, to the resurgence in, um, in um, popularity, success, it was kind of biased, right? In a sense, because it's like, or maybe it wasn't. That's what's so hard to tell. That's what's so interesting, actually. Was it biased or was it, was it the nature of this incredible story? Because a lot of it focuses on the relationship between Tiger Woods and his father, Earl Woods. His father, Earl Woods, was a, was a, you know, he was like an army vet, serviceman golf teacher, golf pro. And, you know, at a young age, he discovered that his son, Tiger Woods, was a golf phenomenon, you know, at the age of one year and a half. So then he starts due diligently training Tiger, setting up the golf club, the tee, showing him how to swing, taking him out to the links, courses, playing fucking miniature golf, the whole kit and caboodle. But then they do these interviews with like Tiger's teachers. They do an interview with Tiger's kindergarten teacher. This is a woman who knew him like 40 years ago. And she seemed like a real nice old lady, right? <laughs> oh yes, I, I knew Tiger. I knew Tiger. I knew Tiger, yeah. Oh 
Yeah, Tiger Woods. I knew him. Oh, the father? Earl Woods? What a son of a bitch. What a son of a bitch. Yeah, he was a son of a bitch, Earl Woods. Tiger would want to play different sports like soccer or basketball, but Earl wouldn't let him. He was a, he was a son of a bitch. And that was like that was like a theme that was like prevalent throughout the film. It's like all these outside characters trying to interfere between a father and son. A father golf pro trying to foster the talent, grow the talent of his prodigy son. Then all these like outside factors like you know agents, marketing companies, girlfriends, friends, teachers, all these people trying to get a piece of tiger cuz like he was famous from an early age and everybody was trying to get a piece of tiger and his father was just trying to keep him involved in golf and focused and for that he was a son of a bitch it's like how 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 close did you know this family i don't even remember who the fuck my kindergarten teacher was like how how meaningful is the relationship between a kindergarten teacher and a student you're like a glorified babysitter it's like daycare you know what i mean like what the fuck what the fuck is that relationship yet it was so entwined she inserted herself in tiger woods life so deeply that for that earl woods was a son of a bitch hey there's something awfully squooey going on around here. Uh, something awfully fishy. You know? Because that was the theme. Everybody was like trying to get at Tiger from an early age. Very strange. Very strange. And then like, um, you know... The Pierre de Resistance, or one of the major um, suspects, in my mind, was Tiger Woods' caddy. Tiger Woods' caddy, Steve Williams, I believe. Steve Williams. Steve Williams was Tiger Woods' caddy from, like, um, 1999 to 2011. Right around the time Tiger had some of those uh, extramarital problems. But, you know, this caddy, Steve Williams, in the documentary, he's like, You know, I was right there for Tiger. You know, I'm a New Zealander and Tiger Woods, I was his caddy for 13 years. So, you know, you know, Tiger, you know, he's having a little bit of a marital kerfuffle, you know, a little bit of media pressure. So then Tiger goes, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of a break. I go, all right, Tiger, no problem. But, um, you know, um, my mate, he's playing a tournament next week. Uh, do you mind if I caddy for him? Tiger said it was okay. Everything was okay. Then I get a phone call from uh, Tiger's agent saying that if I caddy for this other person... Tiger's going to fire me. 
And I'm like, Tiger, Tiger wouldn't fire me over that. So then I go and I caddy. I caddy the tournament. I get back. Turns out Tiger fired me. And I'm like, what the bloody hell? What's going on here, mate? I, I mean, I thought we were like... And that's another thing. What happened after that was like, he stopped talking to me. And it's like, mate, I was your caddy for 13 years, Tiger. I mean, Tiger was the best man at my at my wedding. Tiger was the best man at my wedding. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. But hey, I mean, you know, that's just the way it is. And I'm watching that, right? And I'm like, wow. So, little recap. Tiger Woods, I don't know, greatest golfer that ever lived. Um, billion dollar, million dollar, multi-million dollar deals with Nike, Buick. You know, top ranked golfer at the time. He gets into these marital problems. You know, um, he's under all this media scrutiny, pressure, marriage is falling apart, business relations are potentially falling apart. That's a time in his life where he could use a friend, correct? So in the midst of this media and marital melee, Tiger Woods caddy, Steve Williams, of 13 years, goes, Hey, by the way, mate, I know you're on the ropes, and, you know, your life's falling apart. Do you mind if I go caddy for somebody else? Tiger's like, um, sure. Then he thinks about it, and he has his agent call Steve Williams, telling him, do not go on with this gig. Don't go caddy for another person, or else you're fired. And Steve Williams in the documentary, he's trying to shrug it off like, I mean, what, what's going on here? I mean, I thought it was no big deal. And da, da, da. Cut it out. All right, cut it out. I know nothing about golf. I know nothing about being a caddy. I, I, I googled it. Caddies are basically like independent contractors. They go from gig to gig. If they build a relationship with a certain golfer, then they can work different tournaments and they get paid on a commission, they get bonuses. They're like an independent contractor, basically. That's basically what I know about caddying. That's, I don't know anything about it. But what I do know is about business sense and friendship. All right? So let me get this straight. He's trying to fluff it off as if it's no big deal. Tiger's agent called me and told me not it's no. So the highest paid athlete in the world, more or less, the greatest golfer of all time, his agent calls you telling you, do not continue with that contract. If you go and take on this other contract, you are fired. And you slough it off as no big deal. He's Tiger Woods' agent. Tiger Wood is basically an account. 
the account of Tiger Woods, the multi-million, potentially billion dollar industry of Tiger Woods, the account manager of Tiger Woods calls you and tells you, don't fuck around or you're fired. You fuck around and you get fired, then you pretend like, what the hell? It's kind of a big deal. All right? It's kind of a big deal when Tiger Woods' agent calls you and says, cease and desist. It's kind of a big deal. Am I crazy here? Do you think some multi-million dollar sports athlete is going to fuck around by having his agent make phone calls and empty threats? And then furthermore, he goes, um, Tiger Woods was like the best man at my wedding. I don't know what happened. Blah, blah, blah. Cut the horse shit. Do you think Tiger Woods gave a fuck about being the best man at your wedding? Perhaps he did. Perhaps he does. He didn't. I don't know. But like at the time of his wedding, I did the math. If, if this Steve Williams was Tiger's caddy from 1999 to 2011... That means he met Tiger Woods, he met Tiger Woods, or he started caddying for Tiger Woods at the age of 35. So you're telling me at the age of 35, when you started caddying for Tiger Woods, let's say you met him when you were 30. I don't know when they met, but even still, you don't have a brother, a childhood friend, a cousin, an uncle. That could have been the best man for your wedding. Why your boss? Who the fuck asks their boss to be like the best man at their wedding? And also, there's some sort of insincerity about that, isn't there? I mean, there's a lot of best man duties that come with being the best man. Maybe he was looking for a generous wedding present. What better way to sucker yourself into a, you know, like you got a wealthy friend or relative and oh my multi-million dollar fifth cousin removed hello my multi-million dollar fifth cousin removed on my grand funkle's side do you want to be the best man of my wedding don't worry about bringing a gift could have been just a ploy to get you know a little kickback And again, that's my opinion. That's my outlook. The guy read like a slime bag. He just, he read like a real scum bucket. I didn't trust him as far as I could throw him. And that's one of the weird things about, um, I guess, what I learned about this whole Tiger Woods story was, you know, even with his ex-wife. Um, I would just say in regards to her, it was a situation where poor old Tiger, you know, he's running around, multi-millionaire, famed athlete. I think he just saw a pretty face in the crowd. You know, he hollered at her. She dug it. I mean, of course, he's mega wealthy, you know, phenomenal shape. You know, he was working out very hard. Athlete, great shape, great body, you know. Got that kind of cartoonish, cablasian face, you know. <laughs> Tiger identifies as being clubasian, cablasian, Caucasian, black, Indian, indigenous, 
Asian, Caucasian. So, you know, he's got that cartoonish Cheshire grin, that big toothy grin, kind of like a comical caricature looking type of motherfucker. But he had a phenomenal body, you know. The perks were all in her favor, you know. So she marries Tiger. Okay, no big fucking deal. But I think all it really was was just, you know, a pretty face meets a wealthy man. There was really no relationship. They had a few kids. He fell susceptible to the temptations of the flesh. They got divorced. I don't think there was really much there besides just she was a pretty face. He was a famous golfer. I don't think there was really much there. Then again, I don't know. I wasn't there. But that's just what's so interesting about this whole story. It's just like child prodigy. Busted his ass. Busted his ass to be the best golfer. Like, um, just really busted his hump. And then all these people clawing at him for a piece of the pie. And then the rise to stardom, then the fall from grace. When he has that extramarital affair, all of a sudden, and, you know, honestly, to a certain point, rightfully so, or maybe to a certain extent, definitely something to consider. I mean, he, 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 marketed, him, he marketed himself as a clean-cut family man, you know, always do the right thing, pillar of the community. Like, he marketed himself as a squeaky clean, squeaky clean person, yet he's running around fucking escorts and party girls. and So, I mean, he really only had himself to blame for that, I would say. And, hey, that's his business. I don't even care. But it's like, I could understand where it's like, well, from a business angle, it's like, you're in business with Nike, different charities he set up, different sponsors, Titleists, fucking Buick, whatever. You know, you portray yourself as a squeaky clean, wholesome, athlete, healthy living, yet you're fucking like any old fucking escort party girl that you come across. Not exactly a good look. But then there was a situation where it's like the Georgia Masters or the Georgia Country Club where a big tournament was being played. In the midst of all this scandal, the manager, the owner, the CEO, the whatever, the head honcho of this golf club, this golf course, he gets up. And he gives a speech about Tiger Woods before a tournament. Says something along the lines of, I don't even know what he said. Just some loser looking for his little 15 minutes of fame. 15 seconds of fame. He, You know, he, Tiger Woods let down the community in a lascivious love affair, sex scandal. And it's really against the values of this country club. And hopefully he can redeem himself and apologize. And what a low life. What a scumbag. What a loser. Da, 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 da. Goes on, says all this horse shit about Tiger. Part of the documentary gets into that. They go, was it a public whipping? It was a public whipping. Phil Mickelson. Uh, I don't know. Tony the Tiger. Uh, Arnold Palmer. 
Bob Hope. They would never have got lambasted like that if they got caught having an affair. They did it to Tiger because he's black or Cablasian or whatever the hell he calls himself, right? It was a public whipping. Now, 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 now. Again, that's media again trying to sensationalize and get involved with Tiger and spin things and, you know... I think what was the interesting story was the fact that, yeah, he was this mega wealthy, mega successful golfer that had had this squeaky clean image, this can do no wrong image, and he gets caught in this seedy base sex scandal. Nobody really, I mean, nobody really held it against him. The fans still stood by him. There was throngs of people chanting for him. And actually, Tiger went on to be quite productive in those following years after the sex scandal. He was actually quite productive, according to the documentary. I think it was just an instance of one person, that Georgia Masters person, trying to insert himself and, you know, try to step on Tiger and knock him down a peg because, I mean... He's a somebody, and that guy was a nobody. So, of course, he's going to say something stupid and disrespectful. I mean, he has to insert himself into the story somehow, right? I mean, he had to get a little bit of attention of himself, right? He had to play the shining knight. I mean, he had an opportunity to make himself look better than the greatest golfer that ever lived. So, of course, he's going to take that opportunity, Unfortunately, there are people like that, you know, like pathetic. He couldn't beat him on the golf course, obviously, so he had to beat him in in media, in spin, right? So, very interesting. And, um, you know, I guess... The documentary was very inspiring. Definitely check it out. Tiger on HBO. Um, It was inspiring. He definitely worked hard. I mean, you see the level of abuse that he put his body through. You know? Pay the cost to be the boss. Pay the cost to be the boss. You got to pay the cost to be the boss, man. Like, he put his body through hell. Several knee surgeries, back surgery, media pressure, you know, people on his ass, people on his chops. One media reporter, she's like, so um, Tiger, you know, you had the back surgery, the knee surgery, the extramarital affairs, the this, the that. What do you think is going to be a factor moving forward in this tournament? Tiger, as, cu- as cool as a cucumber, he goes, um... Well, I think your first point, um, age. Yeah, father time is undefeated. Just the clear way in which he answered her stinging rebuke, as if it was any of her fucking business who he fucks, right? This stupid reporter. He goes, you know, just, well, I think your first point, like that's, and he didn't even put any sting on it. He just kind of said it casually, he just... You know, like, as if her comments meant nothing to him. 
So that's very interesting. It's very interesting. You know, and people call Tiger a bit a bit of a goofy, corny, you know, corn ball. I found him just to be very put together and focused, you know? You know, like like he's Caucasian after all, you know? He didn't quite have the swag of a black man. He don't quite have the mannerisms of a white guy. He's not particularly mathematical like an Asian. You don't know how to smoke a peace pipe like an Indian. He's Caucasian. He's like a mixture of all sorts of weirdness. So... He was a bit of an oddness about him, but like very put together and like I didn't find him goofy or dorky by any means. I found him just very like down the line, like a straight drive. <laughs> you know, he just drive it down the line, you know, like I saw this one interview with uh, Larry King. Rest in peace. Larry King does an interview with um, Tiger and he goes, so uh, Tiger, you know. What are your goals? You know, it's important to have goals. What are your goals? Tiger's like, to be the best. Larry's like, the best. Yeah, you want to be the best what? To be the best golfer or? Exactly, to be the best golfer. The best. And even there, I put a little bit of mustard. I put a little mustard on it. Like, Tiger had a way of talking that was very like zen must have been the Kablasian in him. The Buddha, Asian, Kablasian. Must have been the Kablasian in him. But he had a very, like, Zen way of, like, talking where it's, like, it's just not particularly, like, detached. He's <laughs> just, like, to be the best. Not, like, see how I did that little head snap? He, Tiger didn't do none of that. He'd just be, like, to be the best. That's right. Exactly. To be the best. Like, he was, like, a fucking humanoid. You know? Got an android. He was like a fucking calculator, you know? Anyway, very interesting. It's a documentary, a two-part documentary about just hard work, success, fame, rising to the heights of heights, falling to the low of lows. Tiger on HBO. Definitely check it out. It's a definitely... Definitely an interesting watch if you're into sports, if you're into just um, success and what it takes to get there and hard work and just a story of human perseverance. Very interesting. Tiger on HBO. Check it out. And as for me, folks, as usual, you know, if you're new to the show, if if you don't know, if you do know, hell, I don't know. But anyways, as for me, Jonathan Ramcharan, actor, stand-up comedian extraordinaire, performer to the bone and damn proud of it, busting my chops, busting my hump, all in a day's work, you know? Nothing particularly new to tell you. Been working on this, been working on that, just another day at the office, doing the podcast. Very grateful for your viewership, your listenership. And, you know, during these pandemic times, you know, it's very important to remember. I need to remember it and I need to put the message out. The best is yet to come. You know, it's always darkest before the dawn. 
there's a pot of gold at every end of the rainbow, you know? Got to slay a few dragons before you find a princess, you know? Politically incorrect, but hey, it's true. Keep on swinging, folks. Hallelujah. It's your old chuckle buddy, guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan, reporting live for duty on this magnificent February 10th in the year of our Lord, 2020. 2021! Still on Wuhan time. 2021. The show is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And again, as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Till next time. You live it, you love it, you realize it. All right? Peace.